but it's very important just to be aware by actually looking at your plate. I mean, how many times do we really just kind of put the food in our plate and eat it without actually realizing, okay, what did I put in there? What's in there? What are the food groups that are on my plate? Are there enough um, vegetables? Are there enough protein? Is there enough healthy fats and so on? We just eat. This is the combination that I like, but like not actually think about the food they're eating. And I think people should do that regardless anyway. Like they need to do that even if they're not pre-diabetic or diabetic or they're concerned about any health conditions. They just literally need to look at their plate. This is how easy it is. You're listening to the Stay Old Podcast with me, Sanjay. My aim with this podcast is to help you to become whole again. Through these discussions, I will help you to eat, live and move better. This means eating a more balanced diet to nourish your body with the nutrients it needs. Living happier, healthier and more productive lives through managing stress, improving sleep and connecting with people. And to move your body the way it was designed to move, helping you to remain mobile and injury free. Thank you for joining me. Hello, and welcome back to the Stay Whole podcast. Many of you will be shocked to know that around 22,000 people with diabetes die early every single year. Type 2 diabetes is a leading cause of preventable sight loss in people of working age and is a major contributor to kidney failure, heart attack and stroke. There are currently 3.4 million people with type 2 diabetes in England alone, with around 200,000 new diagnoses every year. While type 1 diabetes cannot be prevented and is not linked to lifestyle, type 2 diabetes is largely preventable through lifestyle changes. Today, I sit down with Haya Murad, who is a clinical nutritionist and a diabetes prevention coach. She works on the Healthier You NHS Diabetes Prevention Programme, as well as running her own private nutrition clinic. In this episode, we talk all about diabetes. We talk about different types of diabetes, through to the complications, the symptoms. We do focus mainly on type 2 diabetes, as this is largely preventable through lifestyle changes. And those changes are improving the food that we eat, increasing our physical activity, and managing stress, as well as improving our sleep. Now, whether you're at risk of diabetes or not, the information in this episode applies to any of us out there living in the modern world. The information in this episode is not intended to be medical advice, so please see your healthcare professional before you embark on any changes with your health. And all the views in this episode are our own, that's Haya and Sanjay, and not for any of the organisations that we're affiliated with. It was a pleasure to have Haya on the show, and I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hiya, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, at long last, you've uh, agreed to come onto my podcast. Thank you, Sanjay. Thank you. I'm um, actually so excited for this. Good, me too. <laughs> I think this is one I've been looking forward to the most yeah. and, and talking about the subject that we're going to talk about today as well, um, but as also talking about it with, with, with yourself. Um, obviously, I know a lot about yourself, but my listeners don't. Can you give everyone a bit of understanding about what, who you are and what you do? Okay, so um, hi everyone. My name is Haya. I am a clinical nutritionist. I've done a bachelor's in nutrition and a master's in clinical nutrition. And um, I've been working as a private, well, I've got my private clinic and also work as part of the NHS Diabetes Prevention Program. 
and that's where we that's how we met right we met through uh, yeah through working for the uh through ics and the nhs, NHS diabetes. diabetes prevention program yes absolutely so i thought it would be a good opportunity to bring someone uh your background is a clinical nutritionist uh my background is from the health and fitness side so uh it's quite a nice uh you know combination we're of, gonna have of, a lot to talk about there's a lot to talk about <laughs> so can we talk about diabetes right because you know nutrition is a big part of it you know physical activity is a big part of it and then we probably we need we need a psychologist right we need someone to come on board who can add the the, the stress and the, the psychology piece but but we can we can cover that um with, with, with ourselves so yeah we're going to talk about diabetes uh, in general at first but then we'll sort of maybe focus on what we obviously what we know uh, well which is the, t the type 2 diabetes but i guess we could start by if you could just hire hey i give everyone uh, what an understanding of what diabetes is so um diabetes is um a lifelong condition whether it's type 1 or type 2 uh, and it causes a person's blood sugar levels to be become high we will talk about the different type of diabetes, but diabetes is very common and it has a lot of complications. So it's not just the health condition itself of not being able to manage your blood sugar levels, but it comes with a lot of other complications that we'll talk about um, later. Yeah, so do you want to give us a rundown of the different types? I think people are, are semi-familiar with, with the different types, you know, the, the ones and the twos. And so let, let's just start, let's start at the beginning, I guess, with, with type one. So type 1 is um, an autoimmune disorder, so it has nothing to do with your lifestyle. It's your immune system attacking the beta cells in ions of Langerhans in the, in the pancreas. So every time the body is trying or the pancreas is trying to produce insulin to uh, move that glucose into your, your cells, the immune system is attacking it. So the body will not be able to produce it, not because there's anything wrong with the pancreas itself, but the immune system doesn't recognize the, the beta cells and it recognizes them as a foreign thing in the body. And that's why it keeps attacking them. And with this one, type 1 diabetes, it, we kind of call it a childhood um, onset diabetes because it's more likely to be diagnosed at childhood, but also is not very common. So it's only about like 5% of all diabetes in the world. So 95% is type 2. With type 1 diabetes, it's much more, well, the, the, the treatment would be basically insulin injections. Um, later on, if people with what well, people who've had, I don't know, diabetes, type 1 diabetes for, for many years would um, sometimes need trans transplants, so islets transplants. Yeah, so with, with type, type 1 diabetes, to summarize what you said there, it's, it's a condition where the, um, the, the, the immune system of the body is destroying the, the beta cells in the pancreas that produce insulin, right? So therefore, the, the pancreas is not producing any insulin. Um, why do we need insulin? Can, can we just clarify that point? Yeah, absolutely. So insulin is a hormone um, that is produced by the endocrine system, and it helps transport glucose from the blood into the cells, into our cells. So we can use it for energy, we can use it to store it in our muscles and everything. Yeah, exactly that. So the, 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 
the role of this insulin is to take the glucose once we've ingested it through our diet and remove it from the blood and then it will move it into our, our body's cells where it will then be used as energy because glucose is, is a form of energy. However, it's no use in its in our blood. It needs to be pushed into our cells and that's the role of, uh, of, of insulin in this case. So in type 1 diabetes, if you're pancreas, uh, if the cells that produce insulin inside your pancreas have been destroyed by your own immune system, then that means you cannot produce insulin. So when you eat food, particularly carbohydrate uh, containing foods, which is where the glucose comes from, your blood glucose stays elevated and long term that can be a problem and we don't want that to happen, right? That's that, having high blood glucose is is dangerous for the body uh, long term and we'll go into the complications um in, in a little while but yeah so that's that in a nutshell um that's what we're talking about with type one and as you quite rightly said it's typically diagnosed at a very early age and early stages of life, you know, childhood, uh, because something would go wrong pretty drastically, right? You would have some sort of symptom and then, then the mother, the yeah, parent Yeah, absolutely. Take- With type 1, it's much more likely to, well, much more uh, faster to be diagnosed because the symptoms for type 1 appear much more quickly. So it appears all of them together and we'll talk about the symptoms, well, not all of them together, but they appear very, very quickly. So it's very hard to miss type 1 diabetes and and while with type 2 diabetes it's a lot of people have had pre-diabetes and we we both know that um Sanjay working with pre-diabetic patients they and again we will probably need to kind of talk about type 2 before we we mention the symptoms and and that uh but it's easier to miss and some people go have uh, high blood sugar levels for a long long time so probably years before they even notice that there's something they need to do yeah absolutely and having said that about type 1 diabetes actually just very recently i've discovered there are people who are discovering that they're type 1 diabetic as adults yeah and this is something yeah this is something i don't know if this is new or it's just it's just i've just come across it recently yeah no it's not new it's very uncommon though so they do always say it's childhood onset um, diabetes and more likely to be diagnosed when you're a child Uh, but there are so many people who do get diagnosed with type 1 again the reason well as adults uh, again it's an autoimmune disorder so it, it could happen to not only the pancreas but it could you you know autoimmune disorders immediately sometimes your body could start attacking itself out of nowhere so the reason that the the risk factors or or the causes are actually not known Uh, with type 1 is more likely to be genetics but if you were to develop it as an adult out of nowhere then there there could be there is no actually known reason till today why you could develop it out of nowhere as an adult yeah absolutely so it just just to clarify yeah there are people out there that are, are getting it as adults um so that's that kind of summarizes type one and, and our, our work on the prevention program doesn't doesn't really cover type one diabetes um it's normally you know i think it's also important to say that once you have it uh it's very it's for life. rare it's for life yeah it's very rare that you can cure it. you have to treat it with insulin injections you have to you know manually inject the insulins or you do get these automatic pumps nowadays don't you that's yeah yeah there are insulin pumps as well now um but yeah you can't um there is no cure for type 
want diabetes it's something it's a life condition you kind of need to live uh, live live with um most like just like you said it's either insulin injections or insulin pumps and um as i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast um people who do experience severe hypoglycemia and that your blood sugar levels going very 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 low um that could cause loss of consciousness comas um uh, seizures um so people who do experience this having type 1 diabetes and some people what they have is they it's called hyperglycemia unawareness so when their blood sugar levels go very low they're not aware that they need to do something now when when this go when this happens it could be because of so many reasons first maybe they've taken an extra injection of of insulin so there's too much insulin that takes all their sugar from the blood um, and that causes um, the hypoglycemia or sometimes a regular meal being missed or exercise they've exercised without kind of taking appropriate uh, reduction in medication because you know when you're exercising you're using more energy so when this happens they experience the um, symptoms of severe hypoglycemia as I said uh, whatever it is a coma loss of consciousness even a seizure so later on if they were to have this regularly so let's say twice a year because severe hypoglycemias um, um, are, are really really dangerous they could actually cause death um, so if people with type 1 diabetes to experience these once or twice a year like regularly let's say two or three years in a row and um, then they would they would kind of look into getting eyelids, eyelids uh, transplants and there's a whole field about eyelid transplants. Um, I don't know if we, if we have to have time to kind of talk about it, but uh, in general, it's just um, transplanting eyelids from eyelids, is the eyelids of Langerhams, where the beta cells are, uh, from a deceased pancreas or a pancreas from a deceased person. <laughs> And um, and yeah, they they transfer it to the liver, so the body can start pr- making its own insulin as well. Yeah, so it's it's like a it's sorry to interrupt. It's like a a, a normal transplant that like you would have, you know, a donor, and you'd have a donor obviously who's passed away, and then they'd pass you their uh, their healthy islets to to put into your pancreas. Yeah, yeah, but these but they're not very successful. So sometimes after a few years, um, you you would need to kind of go back to like it doesn't work anymore. Sometimes the body, just like you said, a normal transplant, the body rejects it, and so on. Yeah, and that's just the that's just the body doing its job properly, right? It's Absolutely. recognizing that these these cells that you put into me are not from this organism; they're not from you. So it's that it's your body's designed to reject those, and that's why these kind of uh, operations are very very hard to do and, and very have a very low success rate, um, just because the human body is so amazing at doing what it does really really well. And and just like I find it very very interesting, I don't know if you're gonna find it interesting like the pancreatic islets are just like one to two percent of the whole pancreas like the impact it has on the whole body is just amazing don't you think yeah i i i find all of this stuff fascinating so yeah we could talk for hours on uh, on physiology and uh, and biology but yeah I, I, it's it's amazing that such a small like you said a small part of the human physiology uh, not working correctly can have such drastic knock-on uh, effects absolutely and, and yeah it's, yeah it's phenomenal and then you know it does change a person's you know way of life and it's not that you can't live a healthy and, and normal and life if you are a type 1 diabetic 
diabetic. I know many athletes and, you know, many very, very successful people who are type one diabetics. And it's just something that you, you know, and, and I guess the good thing about it happening when you're very young is that you learn to deal with it when you're young. And when you're young, your, your ability to learn and, and adapt is to very, manage very, it. Definitely yeah, much more better. Yeah. And once you get used to it, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take one, but yeah, it is something you have to obviously be careful of, uh, when it when it comes to type one diabetes, let's um, let's jump on to the other other types of diabetes. Um, and before we get to type two diabetes, I do want to cover uh, just briefly uh, gestational diabetes because I know there are there are going to be people listening, particularly the, the females out there who may have uh, undergone this. I know my wife herself ha- has had gestational diabetes. So can you quick briefly explain what gestational diabetes yeah. is? Yeah. So um, it's when a woman Women who doesn't have diabetes develops high blood sugar levels during pregnancy. And the reason for that is um, the hormones that are being produced, the um, change of hormones um, during the pregnancy, uh, the placenta is what needs a lot of glucose. So what happens is it increases the glucose in the blood. So it re- that, that sugar goes to, to the fetus to... Uh, obviously to help the fetus grow and everything. Some people, some pregnant women develop this during pregnancy and as soon as they deliver the baby, so after childbirth, their blood sugar levels would go back to normal. And some women could actually develop type 2 diabetes because of it afterwards. Right. And it, so that, that makes it very important that the, the woman manages the gestational diabetes uh, during the pregnancy. And how would, they, how would they be managing their diabetes or their gestational diabetes during the pregnancy? What they actually, I'm not so sure to be honest about how because what I know it's is the hormones from the placenta um, they block insulin, so preventing the body from regulating uh, the increased blood glucose of pregnancy. So I'm not so sure if there's something like the woman can do in that case because it has nothing to do with what she's eating it has to do with actually the hormones by the placenta um that are blocking the insulin so um i'm not entirely sure that's a very good question if there's a way to i don't know if you do you know if there's a way i mean you said your wife had it so yeah i mean there was there's no there's no drugs or anything that you have to take um you know obviously because during pregnancy is a quite delicate stage of uh, of of life but um yeah the only way that uh she was informed by her consultants was to manage it was through diet and she had a she had to constantly monitor her glucose levels with a finger prick so she had a, a glucose monitor and she would take a fasting blood glucose first thing in the morning um she would take it before eating, uh, after eating, and after eat, and that the after eating reading, you know, two, I think it's two hours after eating, you need to check your blood glucose. And if that reading was showing that it was high, it just said it just meant she had too much car- carbohydrate in her meal. And I don't know if this is with every every woman out there, but I can only tell talk about my experience with my wife in that she was extremely sensitive to carbohydrates. So she would have you know something that we would consider you know low GI whole grain brain, you know, complex carbohydrate, you know, it's not going to spike your blood glucose that much, but she would have a, a, a tremendous spike in her blood glucose. So literally for the, for, for the majority of her pregnancy, she was eating a very, very low carb, almost keto diet, um, because it was the only thing that worked. Now I'm not, look, I'm not prescribing this. This is not medical advice. Do not go out there and start doing keto if you're pregnant, but that we, through experimenting, we found that 
if the only way to manage her blood glucose and keep it within the safe range was for her to eat a lot of protein and a lot of fat, but keep the carbohydrate extremely, extremely low. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's basically like fighting against something that's ongoing. So if you were to, for example, to reduce your... Um, your carbs intake, then you're reducing the insulin that's being released as a result of your carbs intake. But you can't, but as I said, because of the hormones, it, insulin um, uh, job is, well, the function of insulin is being blocked, let's say. So, um, so even like, this is the only thing that you can do, just like you said, to go very, very, very low, because the hormones, no matter what you do, they just keep blocking insulin. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to manage, and um, luckily she has someone like me who's very good at um, you know <laughs> motivating That's and really organizing good. and making yeah. sure that the food was there and we're not eating this, you're not eating that, and and uh, yeah, and she's quite disciplined as and, well. And, but I know and she and she um, obviously it it went back. Her blood sugar levels went back to normal after giving birth, right? Thankfully, yes. So she has. Uh, they give they give you a follow up blood test uh, a few weeks after giving birth just to check that everything's okay and luckily for her everything is is okay uh to this date touch wood so yeah but it does increase the chances of yes as you as you quite rightly said later in life you might be at higher risk of type 2 diabetes or if you become pregnant again if you've had gestational diabetes before there's a high chance that you will get it again as well but again i don't have the statistics on what the recurrence rate is but i know there that your chances do significantly increase if that's the case let's um Let's switch to, I guess, what we're going to spend most of this uh, th this episode talking about, and that's type two diabetes. So, um, yeah, give us an explanation of of type two diabetes and how it. Obviously, we talked about type one, so we can compare the two. Yeah, type two. So we spoke about insulin at the beginning and how it's important in regulating uh, blood sugar levels. So with type two diabetes, there is nothing wrong with the pancreas, nothing wrong with your immune system. Everything is fine. What's what I usually say what's wrong is your lifestyle and it needs to be changed. That's if, again, there are so many reasons for type 2 diabetes, uh, like genetics, for example, so stress as well. Uh, but in general, most of diabetes has to do a lot with the lifestyle, body weight, um, some other risk factors that we'll talk about uh, together in a bit. But with type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. So when there's so much glucose in the blood, the body starts to produce more insulin to take that extra glucose. And what happens over after a long period of time when there's a constant release of uh, insulin, our cells become resistant to that insulin. And when they're resistant, they're not responding to insulin. So glucose, insulin is not working, which means glucose is staying in the blood and not going into our cells, which causes high blood sugar levels. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a resistant to something. So, and, and I guess you could apply that to other parts of the human body. And the, the example I like to always use, and this may be, may or may not be medically or scientifically correct, but it makes sense in my mind, is that, you know, if you spend a lot of time in the sun and having lived in the desert for 10 years, I, I'm, I'm well versed with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when, when, you, when I first went out to, to, the, to the desert and in a hot country you know i've been come from the uk and we hardly get any sun here it was 
hard for me to get out in the sun because I would, you know, I'm not used to it. But after a while of living there, I, your body gets used to it and you can spend longer in the sun and it not, doesn't affect you as much. And that's just you building up a resistance to the, the sun's, um, you know, ultraviolet rays. And the same way with type 2 diabetes, you're building up a resistance to insulin. Now, insulin, we need it, as we, we've explained already what it is. And if you're eating foods or your, your lifestyle is causing your blood glucose levels to raise, to rise uh, or chronically or all the time then your body has to your pancreas has to constantly keep pumping out glucose uh, sorry insulin in order to lower the glucose and the more it keeps pumping out eventually your cells that open the door to let the glucose in just become resistant to the into the to the insulin and it stops working right so it stops opening those doors and the glucose gets trapped in your in your blood yeah 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 if that happens to to someone if they're if they're becoming insulin resistant what are you know different from type 1 diabetes i guess because we're going to focus on type 2 but what are some of the symptoms what will how will someone recognize that this is happening so symptoms so there's there are common symptoms for type 1 and type 2 um, some of the common symptoms are feeling tired, tiredness, uh, increased thirst, frequent urination and especially at night so going to the toilet much more often um, sudden weight loss, blurred vision. So these both um, are for symptoms of type 1 and type 2. But as I said, with type 1, they're, uh, they appear more quickly. So it's they're more noticeable. But with type 2, they happen very slowly. So when they happen very slowly, people often miss them because they don't know, oh, I'm like feeling a bit thirsty, you know. Like they don't go like, okay, I'm thirsty, I'm going to the toilet more, I'm uh, feeling tired. They don't kind of text to them that there's something happening in their body or their body's trying to tell them something. And I find it amazing and, and absolutely brilliant how the body will always try to protect you by telling you there's something wrong. And that's why I always tell people, listen to what your body's telling you. Try to kind of notice what's happening. What, if, if there's something that like, you feel, oh, I have... I wasn't always like that. Okay, try to ask more questions. What's happening now? How long has it been going for? Um, because a lot of health conditions go un go missed because of this, because people don't kind of go like, ah, it's nothing important. I'm not going to pay attention to it. I think I think that's an extremely important point here in that you know you you said it you said it there really well in listen to your body you know it's extremely good at telling you when something is wrong and we are very very and we as conscious human beings are very good at ignoring these things as you said we just think ah it's nothing i'm just tired today i had a i had a busy day or i'm just i'm just i'm always tired because i work really hard and look we all work hard and we all get tired but there are certain things that you know you have to take note and and i i'm talking to my fellow male um, listeners here because i think it's you know in and you just look at our groups, right? They're mostly female. Um, and I think men tend to not go to the doctor. That's why things like prostate cancer, there's always this awareness campaigns. But I think there needs to be more awareness on things like type 2 diabetes because you, you, you said it again, you, it, this creeps up on you. You know, your, your insulin resistance, you, know, you may be told at 50 that you are, you know, pre-diabetic or even a type 2 diabetic, but your insulin resistance could have started, you know, 10 Absolutely. years, maybe 15 years before Absolutely. that. Um, but you just didn't realize it was happening. Um, the statistics I've read from NHS England are that, there are currently 5 million people in the UK, oh, in England, sorry, not even the UK, just in England alone, that are at high risk of developing type 2 diabetes. 
They're not even pre-diabetic yet, but they're at high risk. And many of those people are probably walking around as pre-diabetics or type 2 diabetics, and they don't know about it. And we've heard these stories, right? People go to the doctor and they jump over this pre... We haven't even talked about pre-diabetes. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, but they jump over this pre-diabetic stage and they're automatically diagnosed as type 2 diabetic because they've just taken so long to go to the doctor and, and, and solve these things. And and yeah, and, and how many... Sorry to cut you there, but how many patients have we met who didn't go to the doctor for their blood sugar levels but they went for something else and then their doctor spotted that they have high blood sugar levels and put them on the program so most of the time just like you said absent people don't even know not not even an idea and their doctor goes like actually your blood sugar levels are high although you were checking something else yeah, that's a very, again, I completely forgot about that. And that's, again, I think that's probably the majority, right? The majority of the people that we come across, they are like, oh, you know, I just went for a, a regular checkup or, you know, or I had this, I had this blood test for something else. And, and it came back that my glucose levels were, were high. So yeah, look, this is a, this is a huge, huge problem. Um, why, it's a big problem. Let's, I guess, tell, tell everyone why it's a big problem. So we talked about some of the short-term things that can happen. Long-term, why is this a problem? Why do we need to, uh, why do ex programs like the the, the NDPP uh, exist? Why do we need to sort of make people aware of this now? What are the long-term complications here? Yeah, so with diabetes, long-term um, um, complications, they're like, it literally affects everything. For me, anything that affects the, the circulation of the blood will affect every entire organ in the body. Now, when there's so much glucose in the blood, I always give the example of the water bottle. And I'd be like, okay, so I've got a water bottle here. If I put a lot of sugar in it and shake it, what happens to it? What happens to the texture of the water? And I always get people telling me it gets thicker, it gets stickier and so on. And the same exact thing happens to our blood. When there's so much sugar in our blood, our blood becomes thicker, becomes stickier, which means our blood will not be able to flow as smoothly as it should do. And then again, for every single organ to function well, we need a steady, healthy blood flow. Anything that interferes with that will interfere with the function of that organ. Blood circulation is one of the first things well, affected by, by blood glucose levels and or by diabetes, and it will affect every single organ as well. You would have nerve damage, kidney damage, um, blindness, uh, foot damage. Again, when the, first, the, the furthest part away from the heart are the feet. So when the heart is pumping, the blood is supposed to circulate all the way, every single part of the body, all the way to our ends, so the feet, and comes back to the heart where it's pumped again. Now, when our blood is thick and heavy, it, the end nerves, we have all our end nerves in our feet. There's not a lot of um, blood or um, flowing or uh, reaching those nerves in a healthy way. So um, what happens is these nerves start dying, so damaging. And the thing is with nerve damage, it starts spreading. So when it spreads, they need to stop it. And that's why amputation happens. So foot amputations or leg or whatever it is, depending on how uh, far the nerve damage is. It also, it also does uh, affect the skin in general and it affects the heart, which is, I'm sure you know, with type 2 diabetes comes high blood pressure, um, high um, um, CVD risk in general, so strokes, uh, heart attacks, and also affects the brain. So recently there has been studies 
about the link of type 2 diabetes to Alzheimer's and dementia. And I don't know if you've had this, Sanjay, before, but some people are trying to kind of, well, theories are trying to suggest to call Alzheimer's or dementia, well, Alzheimer's as type 3 diabetes because they believe it's caused by insulin resistance in the brain. Have you heard this? Yes, I was actually listening to another podcast where there was a couple, of, there, were a, a doc, there were doctors, but there were a couple. I'm going to try and find their name and I'm going to put them in the show notes. But yeah, very good point. And they've done, uh, they've pioneered this research that has, they're starting to say that, you know, uh, Alzheimer's is effectively another form of insulin resistance in the brain. Um, and and as you quite rightly said, they, they're calling it type 3 diabetes. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting area of development that's happening at the moment that I'm certainly keeping a close eye on myself. So you said it really, again, just to, to, to summarize that anywhere and I actually never, I've never used this way of describing it, and I actually quite like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. For a second, <laughs> uh, but anywhere the blood, anywhere you, there is blood in your body, is going to be affected by insulin resistance, right? If your blood has become thicker and stickier, um, and I use a similar analogy to you in, in terms of the water bottle, I say, look, I've got a bottle of water here, and I've got a bottle of honey here. And if I turn, if I open the lids and I turn them upside down, which one's going to empty first? Well, clearly the water's going to empty first. Now, you want your blood to be like water. You Absolutely. want it to flow. You want it to move. You want it to get into, you know, think about when you spill water. It goes everywhere, right? Every little nook and cranny, every little crevice, every little gap, the water will get in. In there and that's how you want your blood to be you want you want your blood to get to every single nerve every single cell especially the ones in your feet uh, which are obviously the furthest away but the when your blood becomes more like that thicker texture like honey a, it's going to take longer to travel around your body and it's not going to reach the parts that need it, need it most, like your brain and your feet. Or not need it most, but they need it equally as anywhere else, your brain and your feet. The second thing is your your heart. You, you mentioned you know uh, CVD risk, cardiovascular disease risk. Your heart will have to pump faster and harder in order to push this honey-like sludge around your body. Um, so there's a lot of strain on your heart from a very early stage when you are you know start to become insulin resistant resistance the blood pressure in your arteries increases because you know you have to push this this sludge around your arteries and it's going to become harder to push it around so it, this is this is these are really these are the starts of really serious complications um and it's not to be underestimated that you know it literally can affect everything and amputations are the ones that people often hear or, or, or are oh. so amputation and blindness are the most two common um, complications of diabetes and that's why it's I don't know if you do this with, with, with your groups, but as soon as I ask, what do you know about diabetes, the complications, they immediately say or scream di blindness or an, an amputation because they're very, very common. Yeah, they're very common and, and they're quite shocking. And I think that's why people know about it. They're like, oh, really? I can, I can lose my feet and I can become blind just because of, of this type of diabetes. And yes, absolutely. They're very, very common. And the eyes, um, the reason the eyes are, are affected is, is that circulation again, right? So if you think about the blood vessels in your eyes, if you've ever seen someone with bloodshot eyes, they're tiny. They're, they're very, very small blood vessels. Then they're very delicate. And then you try and push this honey-like substance through that blood vessel. Well, it's going to rupture. It's going to burst. And then that's going to cause, uh, cause problems and, and even blindness. So um, 
I think, uh, yeah, it's, it, it goes without saying it's a, it's a very, very serious problem. It's a very it's serious problem. And I, I, like, I know that some people go like, you know, oh, diabetes, okay, medication, metformin, whatever it is. Um, some people have that attitude, Sanjay, of, you know, I take medications for cholesterol. I take medications for blood pressure. What's another pill going to do? I take these two. I can take three. You know, some people have that attitude of, okay, it's just another pill you know um it's just another medication uh but it's much more than that because i'm sure you know and and we can discuss this further that with diabetes you can still develop all these complications while still on medication absolutely yeah, yeah. and um and the, the the medication side of it yeah absolutely is has up until you know relatively recently has been the, the the typical treatment for someone who is diagnosed um i guess before we go into that what that is and, and the, the, we'll go into the diagnosis and we're kind of jumping back a little bit here so i apologize for this but we didn't cover um pre-diabetes and, and and it's not a type of diabetes but maybe explain what what we what we meant when we said pre-diabetes because it links into this um di diagnosis yeah so pre-diabetes is basically have having high blood sugar levels but not too high to be diagnosed with diabetes that's the like that's how i try to kind of explain it so you do have some sort of insulin resistance but you don't have i don't like to say complete insulin resistance because you'll never be you'll never have complete insulin resistance if you have complete insulin resistance you'll die so i would say to like it's the beginning of having insulin resistance so some sort of insulin resistance but it's not in a way where you where you're diagnosed with diabetes and you're experiencing symptoms or complications much more severely let's say yeah exactly and that's where a lot of our the work that we do is is only with uh, pre-diabetic uh, patients right it's only for people that are not yet quite fully blown um, type 2 diabetes and it's, it's quite right it's a stage before it's the start of insulin resistance uh, and then and they tell that from a blood test your blood test shows that you've got glucose in your blood uh, which shouldn't be there and therefore they can make that diagnosis of, of being pre-diabetic um, so yeah so that's important so we mentioned the treatment and even from my understanding of this and having you know diabetes is quite rife within my own family the treatment for pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes has typically been in the form of as you said another medicate another tablet which is in the form of metformin so and the way that metformin works is that it reduces the absorption of glucose within the intestine so that means it slows down the absorption of glucose into the bloodstream so therefore, if there's less glucose in the blood, that means the pancreas doesn't need to produce as much insulin. And the other way that it can work is to reduce the amount of glucose that's actually produced by the liver, uh, and that's called gluconeogenesis. What's the problem with, with, with that approach? Because, you know, like you said, many people are, well, okay, well, what's the big deal? I, you know, I just take a tablet and, um, and, 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 I'm, and I'm good. Yeah, so basically what you're doing here is that you're never actually solving the problem you're just trying to manage it. So your your body will still have insulin resistance. Your only metformin is only decreasing uh, glucose production or or the absorption of glucose. But your 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 cells are still insulin resistant. And then again your your blood will still have glucose in there. And just like I said, some people go like um okay so you know how um, drinking lots of water um, gets rid of some of the sugar 
through urination, okay? And people have that question of, okay, so what if I keep drinking water and keep getting rid of that sugar? Now, first of all, if, if that was the, the solution or the cure to diabetes, everyone would have done it. First of all, if you keep drinking a lot of water, you'll end up being overhydrated and that could make you lose lots of um, vitamins and minerals and make you sick. Number two is that this is, again, you're not solving the problem because you're getting rid of sugar, but you're also increasing it by not changing your lifestyle. You're get, I mean, you're, you keep topping it up. Um, by not changing anything about your diet. So the problem is with that is that you're not fixing the problem. You're just like minimizing the severity effects of it, but you're not fixing it. So maybe you're slowing down, let's say, the complications of the symptoms, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's treating the symptoms and not the cause. I think that's a nice a nice summary of it. Um, when you're using a, a, a tablet like metformin, it's just treating the symptom of high blood glucose. Well, the cause or the, the, the reason that someone has been diagnosed in the first place is not because of the high blood glucose. It's because of the insulin resistance, right? It's because that their body has been producing too much insulin and it's not the glucose that we need to treat it's the insulin resistance um and it's a you know it's a little bit i always use an example of you know putting a, a plaster you know if you've if you've got a if you've got a shoe and you put your shoe on and there's a nail in your shoe and you prick your you prick your foot on the nail and you start bleeding and it hurts and you go to the doctor and you say doctor my foot hurts and it's bleeding and the doctor says okay well um how do i treat bleeding well is it that bad that i need stitches probably not here's some plasters how bad is the pain do you need morphine probably not here's some panadol off you go and then the next day you'd so say you pop your you put your plaster on you pop your panadol pain goes away blood stops next day you put the shoe on boom straight get straight away again you, you you get the same problem well the 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 solution here is obvious right you take the nail out of the shoe and with type with with metformin it's 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 that plaster it's that band-aid but you actually need to go back and figure out why is this happening in the first place and that is when we when we come down to the insulin resistance um so yeah so metformin is still prescribed i think it's also um given to um, people that have, um, or women that have uh, polycystic ovary syndrome um, is, is one of the other uses for metformin, um, but certainly for type 2 diabetes, it's still given. But it's becoming rarer and rarer when it comes to people that are pre-diabetic. And, and this is important because if you're pre-diabetic, you're not quite yet in fully blown type 2 diabetes, but the risk is high. And if you just treat it with taking this tablet, then you're not actually going back and, and, and solving the, the cause of this. And long term, those other effect, those other symptoms can still build up and you're not treating the cause. So we need to go uh, down to the root cause of this, which is insulin resistance. So let's get into that. So what do what does one do if they are, you know, if glucose levels are high, they're pre-diabetic, not yet type 2 diabetic, you know, what, what can they do apart from taking something like insulin or salt, sorry, metformin? Yeah, I mean, first we need to kind of understand the causes or the risk factors factors. When you're at risk of having diabetes, or if you already are pre-diabetic, you need to kind of look at what what are the risk factors? Is it your weight? Because being overweight or um, obese could could uh, increase your risk for diabetes. Do you have any diabetes in the family? Because as 
it is yes lifestyle related or lifestyle condition um but it, there is a genetics um genetics do play a role so there is a genetics factors into it is it stress because um this is something that i'm sure you know as well uh from um interacting with the with the groups that a lot of people think yeah stress is bad they don't know how bad stress is and how if you could be eating all the right things in the world you could be exercising very regularly you're a very fit person you don't need to lose weight you're actually sometimes underweight or very very fit so you're within the healthy weight but you could still develop diabetes if you're stressed even if you have no diabetes in the family at all so um that could as well we need to kind of really highlight the importance of stress and and um the risk or the link of stress to diabetes but then again most of the times it's lifestyle factors like diet and exercise so that person usually is sedentary not really using a lot not you really and uh, doing lots of exercise or working out or their diet composed is composed of um high carb so they have lots of bread rice pasta potatoes biscuits uh, um sugars uh, even fruits i actually know someone who have a fatty liver because of how much fruits they used to eat so absolutely so i always say too much of anything is not good anything and and that literally applies to every single thing in life not only food <laughs> yes. so um so too much of anything is not good even water you could literally die of drinking 20 liters of water every day obviously no one will do that but i'm just saying that no mm-hmm. matter how healthy this thing is or you think too much of it is not good and 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 i always kind of um highlight the importance of moderation again moderation is a very subjective let's say or vague term people go like what's moderate I don't know what moderation is and then that goes down to an individual level. What what's moderate for me is different than what's moderate for you Sanjay and what's moderate to the listeners that they're listening to us. And and maybe we can talk about this later, but with diabetes one of the first things people or doctors would suggest is managing your diet. And that uh, reducing the amount of carbs you're having, um having more fiber, having more uh, whole um whole grain we we talked about low gi or you mentioned low gi as well and uh healthy fats the healthy fats and the protein which is i i always think this is we all know that don't you think everyone knows what they're supposed to be eating right <laughs> this is this is something i say always in 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 session 1 is that you know we we all know this right yeah. we all know what a healthy diet looks like yeah. we all know there's we got to eat five a day and we, we need to exercise to you know half an hour a day that. or 10,000 <laughs> steps yeah we we all know this yet many of us don't do it yeah. and and um, i find that fascinating by the way how everyone knows this but they don't do it so some people come to me and be like you know like i oh come on i know all that and i'd be like yeah but do you do it and then exactly. and then they'd be like no i'd be like there there, there we go <laughs> there's your answer yeah there's your answer <laughs> yeah and uh, and it's that it's at that point where i people say to me and this is just my experience of it is oh but it's it's not it's not that it's 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 the genetics now i want to i have a big problem with with people using genetics as a as an a, a reason for certain conditions in life and look there are things out there which are completely totally genetic and you can't do anything about them but the way that i look at something like type 2 diabetes is that if you have it in your family 
or you are of a certain demographic and we know from the research that yeah black asian you know uh, my ethnic minorities are at higher risk of, of type 2 diabetes not only that funnily enough if you look at uh, the covid-19 uh, statistics uh, black and asian people are at higher risk of dying from covid-19 and one of the reasons that i saw cited on a, on, a, on an article the other day was because there's a higher rate of diabetes in in that community so look this is yes it's true there is a higher higher risk if you are a certain demographic or it's genetic however you know genetics just loads the gun you know the environment that you're in pulls the trigger so i'll you i always use myself as an example you know both my parents are type 2 diabetic now if genetics was a was at play here then i would be guaranteed to have type 2 diabetes and so touch wood so far I have not been diagnosed and I had my HbA1c done very very recently and it showed it was normal so why is it that I'm not I haven't got type 2 diabetes and that comes down to you mentioned it before lifestyle factors and you can control this through your diet through your physical activity through managing your stress and through getting better sleep so yes you may be at higher risk because and you look you may you may be in everything could be stacked against you you could be from that population of people that are at higher risk you could be overweight you could be extremely stressed and you could be very inactive well that's good that, that, that's a lot of things loaded against you in, in this case however the important thing to understand is that you can actually do something about it you can actually change those factors and improve those lifestyle factors and actually start to see your risk coming down um, so yeah we can start with diet because that's obviously the, the the obvious place to start and most practitioners health practitioners will generally say yeah you need to look at your diet you need to maybe be more physically active um, and when we look at the diet I think you know it's not uh, a lot of people when we talk about diet as well right i'm sure you've had this hair is that oh but i don't eat sugar hair. yeah I don't, I, don't eat, I don't eat chocolate i don't eat yeah, cakes i get you know? this all the time and i find <laughs> and this is exactly why i mentioned carbs and i told you like i say like it kind of is natural to me now to go like bread rice pasta rather than sugar chocolate sweets you know so the carbs like really seriously some people don't realize how much carbs they eat on a daily basis until they need to look at their food. Because we usually just, okay, it's a sandwich here, I don't know, um, whatever, uh, some pasta with the chicken on here, and then we'll have rice and potatoes with, I don't know what it is for dinner, and so on. So they don't really actually realize how much carbs they're having. And and I had uh, patients who kind of were very dedic dedicated about watching their diet. And when they started counting their carbs, they came to me and they'd be like, we are shocked because we never thought we eat that much carbs and how easily it adds up. And, and I'm sure you we've done that activity together with patients where they need to calculate, well, roughly estimate how much, um, how many grams of carbs they eat on a daily basis. And then they come and they'll be like, too much. They just, this is what they say, too much. Because it really easily adds up. So you're having a bit here, a bit there, a bit there. But then at the end of the day, like, whoa, you're over 200 grams or 250 or even 300 grams. Um, not that I advise of calculating everything you're eating, because some people might really be put off by this idea. But it's very important just to be aware 
by actually looking at your plate. I mean, how many times do we really just kind of put the food in our plate and eat it without actually realizing, okay, what did I put in there? What's in there? What are the food groups are on my plate? Are there enough um, vegetables? Are there enough protein? Is there enough healthy fats and so on? We just eat. This is the combination that I like, but like not actually think about the food they're eating. And I think people should do that regardless anyway. Like they need to do that even if they're not pre-diabetic or diabetic or they're concerned about any health conditions. They just literally need to look at their plate. This is how easy it is. Just look at your plate when you're eating or look at your, be aware, just be aware, be conscious. Because a lot of the times we just eat. We're around our friends or around family or watching TV or even, I don't know, on the train or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. In the car, you just like, oh, a bit of here, a bit of that, a bit of that. And you're not actually aware of what you're eating or what you're putting in your mouth. And what I I usually think, I, I always say, your body is is like a car, your car. You need to put the right fuel in to be able to drive your car. So you wouldn't put uh, diesel in a petrol car, right? I mean, you can still, I don't know, drive it for a bit and then... You wouldn't get very far. You wouldn't get there very far. So exactly the same with your body. You really need to like to understand what you're putting in your body because this is where you live <laughs> this is this is where you live for the rest of your life and if you the the better the more conscious you are about what you're putting inside your body and the better care you take of it the more um, happy you'll be because life let's just face it life is about it's a quality of life not quantity so you can be a uh, 100 years old but in bed for 20 years but then you could have a very, very healthy life. Um, you're fit, you're able to move around and do everything by whatever age you want. If you actually just look after yourself, like it's it, these small steps, they accumulate. These small steps, they really accumulate. So I think everyone should really kind of keep an eye on what they're eating, um, regardless whether they were pre-diabetic or no. But with diabetes, it really comes down to Watch your diet. Yeah, the diet, the diet, the diet piece is, is important because, and I like the word you use there is the one the word I, I I say all the time is that awareness is that people are just not aware of what they're putting into their bodies and and the long term you know you mentioned these the effects of this and it all builds up so when people suddenly find out that they're pre diabetic or type two diabetes there's normally anger or frustration like why me and then what they don't realize is that this has been happening for twenty years this has been building up in the background for twenty years and your your body again is amazing at letting you carry on you know anything you throw at your body it will let you carry on if you eat too much food it will just store it and let you carry on eating if you exercise a lot it will make you better at exercising so you can keep exercising more you know all the if you 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 can go on with examples yeah the body is the body really adjusts yeah absolutely this is very important yeah it does so looking at your diet is is important and look yes the glucose is the present in your blood because of carbohydrates but i i don't want this podcast to be about demonizing carbohydrates because it's not about that you know it's not about saying cut out your carbohydrates or even necessarily reduce your carbohydrates a lot of this a lot especially for people that may be overweight and i think a lot a lot of that can come from 
two different two different ways and i've had two different approaches here i've had some people say well you know i i i i cook everything from home i don't eat out okay great but then then you still have to look at what you're eating as you quite rightly said it might be you know a bowl of cereal and toast for breakfast pure carbohydrates for lunchtime you're going to have a sandwich again quite heavily carbohydrate based you come home for dinner and you might have rice pasta potatoes again heavy carbohydrate rich meals so look we need carbohydrates the body needs carbohydrates you can't, you know it's very hard to survive in fact probably well keto people would disagree with me here but i think it's very hard to survive <laughs> without uh, without carbohydrates how, how long can you go with keto what like uh, three I mean, months four months year maximum I, i've done it i've done it before a long time ago and um i didn't i think i lasted a couple of months um you did yeah okay the furthest i went with keto just for the sake i'm I'm not a promoter of keto at all like at all um but i've done it i'm a nutritionist so i would want to know what what like the body goes like i i I like to experiment with with my body so i wanted to understand what the body um like how would you feel how the body feels when you're on ketosis and the furthest i could go is for one week that's it i couldn't (laughs) i couldn't do more i thought it was like for me it was so frustrating because I'm not a big carbs eater. Like if I actually was to calculate my carbs during a day on a regular day, I wouldn't, I would have like 140 grams of carbs max. And that's like already half of the, the, the average, amount, let's say. Yeah. yeah. So, um, not, not that I do this on purpose, but I'm not a big carbs eater, but but to to go to the extent extreme, I hate ex- I ha- I hate extremes. <laughs> I hate like very restrictive diets. I mean, if you have to do it, for example, we all know that keto di- ketogenic diet was there for people with epilepsy. This is how it all started. So if you're epileptic and you want to reduce your seizures, fair enough, you need to do that. But for absolutely no reason, I really think the body can do much better if you wanted to like to to reduce weight or whatever it is there's 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 many effective ways and you know so demonizing carbohydrates or you know fats or protein or any any nutrient for that example is not the is not the way here so we're not saying don't eat carbohydrates or even reduce your carbohydrates look at the quality of the food you're eating and you mentioned the car right you get you if you if you have a petrol car you, you quite rightly said you're not going to put diesel in it if you have a ferrari petrol car you're not going to put regular unleaded in it you're going to go with the super unleaded or you should be going with the super unleaded because it's better quality for that better engine now the the and i use the car analogy in a slightly different way in that i i say to people that you probably treat your car better than you treat your own body you know your 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 car you take it for a service once a year you take it for an mot once a year you take it for a car wash you hoover it it gets a little dent or a scratch and you might go and get it fixed you know and 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 even your own body there's other parts of your body that you look after better than you do you know things like your mind and your mental health well wellness which we'll come to that in a second but um so yeah look at the quality of the food that you're putting in if you are having a lot of you know when we talk about carbohydrates we're talking about refined processed carbohydrates and fat so we're talking about heavily processed foods um heavily um you know fried foods junk foods you know again look I don't need to sit here and tell people what bad foods are, right? We all know what they are. We all know what they look like. So eat those a lot, lot less than you probably are at the moment. And that's a great first step is, is just trying to eat real food. And, and one of the examples I try to use to, to people when we talk about diet is, you know, I say, look down at your plate when you're eating and ask yourself the question, if it was 
15,000 years ago, would I be able to go out there and find this food outside? Right. So if you're sitting there eating fish fingers and waffles, well, you're not going to go out there and be able to find fish fingers and waffles. But if you're eating, you know, potatoes with some vegetables and, and some, you know, grilled chicken, well, you could probably go out there and find some of these things in, in, in nature. So you don't have to eat like that all the time. Yeah. So that's that's the paleo, what you're so whoever is, is aware of the paleo. Um, paleo diet is trying to kind of go back to what a caveman would eat, let's say. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not, again, I'm not condoning, I'm not, I'm not pushing any diet here. I'm just using that as an example to say, my point is eat real food. Eat food that has been, you know, is naturally grows in the ground or you go out and catch it, or you, you know, you, and, then, and then, you know, with balance, yes, you can have, you know, you can have a bit of chocolate now and again. You can have a little bit of junk food. Look, I'm not, you know, people who know me think, oh, Sanjay, he's really strict. He doesn't eat any junk food. I eat junk food. I eat junk food. I eat, you know, I eat everything. I have fizzy drinks, but it's very, very rarely that I do it. And I, I allow myself to have it because, you know, we need to enjoy ourselves. We, we, we have to live our lives as human beings. We use food, you know, and no matter who you are listening to this, where you're from in the world, I guarantee you this one thing that we all use food as a form of celebration, right? Birthdays, weddings, christenings, you know, whatever it might be, you know, religious festivals we use. We, so enjoy your food, but make sure it's balanced. And, you know, you, you quite, you said it nicely. Look at, are you, have you got enough carbohydrates? Have you got enough protein? Have you got healthy fats? Um, let's touch on healthy fats because I think that's important and it may go amiss here. Why, why do people need to focus on healthy fats? And then I guess, what are the healthy fats? Okay, so fats are very essential and we need fats for for pre well i wouldn't say pre well everything but for for a lot of the health um for a lot of the functions uh, the the our bodily functions so we need fats to produce hormones which can run our entire body we need fats to produce cholesterol which again is very important we need fats to absorb some of the vitamins so the fat soluble vitamins we need fats for vitamin d production so we need fat for for a lot of um a lot of um our bodily functions so fats are really important and actually healthy fats in, in specific the healthy fats are the fats that help or keep keeping um well let's say the cholesterol downs or uh, keeping your blood um, blood fats um, healthy. So healthy fats are, I'm sure, again, everyone knows that. I just feel like every time we talk about this, everyone goes like, ah, oh, fine, we know that. So the healthy fats are the fish, nuts, olive oil, olives in general, avocados. Um, these are the type of fats that you need to kind of try at least incorporate some of them every day in your life. Yeah, so healthy fats. Yeah, exactly. I think it's they're important. They're good for our, our brain. They're good for our heart. And yeah, again, we don't need to sit here and, and, and educate people on these. But yeah, healthy fats, oily fish, nuts, olive oil, you know, avocados, all these things that we again have been told time and time again that we need to include them. They're they're the healthy fats. And if we talk about, you know, the, the fats that are probably not so good for us, we're talking about your trans fats or eating fats or eating foods that have been heavily fried in a lot of oils. Um, that can be your your unhealthy fats. So yeah, making sure that you get your balance. Um, you know, and, and balance is not just five a day, uh, which obviously everyone knows about, but it's 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 about the the the, the the portion of macronutrients, your carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, and then making sure that you have those in in the right amounts. And if you if you can just f start start with that 
it's look, it, it, making it sound very simple here, and it, it, in a way it is and it's not i understand the reality of this if you've been eating a certain way for 20 30 40 years changing that can be very difficult and, and but then we and talk about small I steps guess. and like small achievements and when someone wants to change we i think we kind of all have this attitude of the all or nothing um some some of us have it bigger than like i don't know more than compared to others but this all or nothing is is really not a good attitude to have especially when it comes to lifestyle habits um so you can't be like all athletic and very healthy or nothing at all so um, you really need to kind of understand that just like you mentioned, Sanjay, it's very, it's absolutely normal to have chocolate, to have cakes, to have burgers, to have whatever it is. Now, what's not normal is how regularly you do that. So I always say if you, I always tell people, if you have a, I don't know, a piece of cake that's, well, I don't know, as, as big as this table in front of us and if you come and and look at this cake and leave this room did that cake do anything to you and everyone goes like no and they'd be like okay if you come back and then you eat that cake today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after will that cake do anything to you and everyone goes like yeah so i said but the cake didn't change it's the same exact cake it's your habits or your attitude towards it. And, and I think people need to understand that. So these foods that we mentioned, nothing, none of them are bad. It's how much we eat of it is, could, could be unhealthy and our attitudes towards these foods rather than the foods themselves. Yeah, uh, precisely, I like that analogy. And, and I always just say to people, look, your health is a direct reflection of what you do all the time and not what you do some of the time. So, you know, if you're eating that, the example you gave, you're eating that cake every single day, well, that's going to have a, a knock-on impact on your health. If you're eating that cake once every couple of weeks or once a month or, or whatever it might be, you know, very rarely, then it's not going to be a big deal if the rest of your diet is, is balanced and healthy. So, um, and and I think this is where the... the, the willpower and cravings and this is where that, that all or nothing approach comes right say so, well i'm not gonna i can't i'm not eating cake i don't want to eat cake i don't want to eat chocolate and it's like i can't eat any anything at all and you torture yourself and you torture yourself and that's and no matter what happens you know and the example a perfect example you did keto for a week and i my willpower lasted two months but it cracked right so no matter and, and i've got good willpower and and it's still cracked so it just goes to show that no matter who you are your willpower is going to crack one day and when it cracks it's oh, it's you know it's it's a big crash back down to earth and then you just end up you know in a, in a worse place than you were at the beginning so allow yourself that that balance and i think just starting with something small so you know uh, it could just be something as simple as water you know and it's when i was a personal trainer this was the i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast in that one of my first advice to, to many clients was tell me how much water i just want to know how much water you're drinking not tea, coffee. I just want to know how much water you're drinking. And then one suggestion would be, right, I want you to now, for, for the next week, just increase your water intake. And that could be your first step. Now, someone might be listening to this and saying, well, what's that going to do? Well, it's just, it's just instilling one healthy habit. It's just one thing that you're doing that will eventually, the small things add up, right? It will eventually make you feel better. And when you start doing one healthy habit, it's very then easy to then stack another healthy habit on top of that. Right, so it's like, all right, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have water, and to, now I'm gonna make sure I, I eat an apple, which I don't eat every day. You know, apple a day keeps a doctor away, if you, if you believe that. Um, so you get the idea. I mean, you can just start Very start small, small steps, with yeah. these things, and and I think the, the, 
just remember, always remind yourself where you are in your journey. Like I said earlier, if this has been 15, 20, 30 years in the making, don't expect things to change in two, three, four, five days, or even five months. You know, it's going to take, it's going to take some time and you have to allow yourself that time. And this comes back to something I know we, we talk about in our program is that self-compassion, right? Not beating yourself up if you don't see changes or if you, you know, fall off the wagon or you have a bad day. It's okay. These things happen, but you just have to just keep going on and, and keep pushing on a little bit like a child. You know, if you've got a child who's learning to walk and, you know, they, the first time they, they hold onto the furniture, they let go, what's going to happen? They're going to fall. They're going to crash. <laughs> they're going to take one step and they're going to crash. What do you say to that child? Ah, uh, you might have to give up now. You're going to be useless at walking. Forget about it. No, you don't. You say, okay, these things happen. You get yourself back up. You brush yourself off. And you yeah, and, and just like you said, it's, it's well, I, all, I always say it's not how big the change is. It's about how long you can keep the change for. So it's some people go like, okay, I'm going to start exercising five times a week next week. And the last time they've exercised was 15 years ago. So you can't just kind of go immediately to these changes. You need to kind of, your body needs, it will be a shock to your body. And even if you were able to, to, to exercise five times a week, um, how long are you going to keep that for? Two weeks, a month, two months. So um, you really need to start slowly to kind of build that habits get your body ready to do it just like you said if you give your body will get used to it so the body will will encourage you to do more of that so some people who've been exercising their whole lives they they can't go a day without exercising or they can't go a week without exercising because they're just so used to it it's a habit it's like waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth you do it you just do it not because you want to, um, um, because you wanna, I don't know, lose weight. Some people just do it for fitness. So it's really about kind of understanding this, that it, it takes time to build habits. But you need to be patient and you need to keep reminding yourself, why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? What am I going to achieve by doing this, and so on? And as a as a nutritionist with, with your with your own clients, is this an this I guess this is an approach that you would take with someone with with regards to food in terms of slowly layering in these? these yeah, some you know some people just go like I I usually try to work with targets every week with with my clients and go like okay so what are we working on this week? Some clients just like to kind of add everything together, you know, and that's fine as long as you can maintain it but as long as you're gonna make sure I mean I'll be there with them to kind of support them make sure that they're maintaining it because as I said sometimes it could just be a big shock and I try to kind of promote a lifestyle rather than a diet so I told you I I hate restrictive stuff I hate the fact that oh I can't have this I can't have that and a lot of my clients come to me and be like I can't believe we're eating that much with you and we feel better about ourselves and and we're like losing the weight or whatever it is their target is because not everyone comes with weight loss or for weight loss. So I'm al- actually I I everyone gets surprised when I talk about this but I get just as much people that want to to gain weight as much as I get people that want to lose weight. So and again because I'm a clinical nutritionist that's that's not the only thing obviously health conditions as well and how you manage it with food and, and PCOS and cholesterol and diabetes lists for example and um, I don't know other um, thyroid problems and so on but in general it's about um, 
it's about trying I try to do it as slowly to kind of build up that routine that habit so you're enjoying it rather than go like oh I I can't have this or I can't have that because we both know that the psychology of this the dieting does have a lot to do on and it affects the body a lot as well so sometimes you're actually not eating a lot but then because of this whole psychology of I can't have this, I really want to have this, this restrictive eating really stresses your body out and that increases fat storage. And that beats the purpose. Yeah, and we're going to talk about stress in, in a very short moment, but exactly that in that just that and when you kind of switch someone from that all or nothing approach to, you know, quite right, you said maybe people are starting to eat more. And I've had this example, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, but just some people like just look at their food diaries and say, look, you just need to up your, your, your exercising, like yeah. eat a little bit more. They're yeah. scared. They, they go, I, really? I, I have to eat, I, I can eat more when I put on weight. And, and when they start doing that, as you quite rightly said, the the, the stress just goes away. It's just like, oh, thank God I'm allowed to eat now. And then that, whether it's conscious or subconscious, the fact that that stress has disappeared, the body can then return to a homeostasis or as close to homeostasis as possible, a normal resting rate. And then its functions can start to work and everything starts to click and engage and work properly as, when, as, as, as opposed to when they were restricting and they thought they were being really healthy and they were stressing themselves out and being really harsh on themselves, the complete opposite was happening. So yeah, just allowing yourself that, that time time and, and um, that, that flexibility is very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So diet is obviously one, one factor when it comes to uh, helping, particularly with diabetes, but I guess, you know, we could say this goes to every, it goes for everything, right? And then everything we're talking about here, uh, I guess goes for everyone, but particularly when it comes to type two diabetes and pre-diabetes. The other, the other part of it, I guess, is, is the exercise component or physical activity uh, component of, um, of, of helping to reverse or prevent um, diabetes or type 2 diabetes where does that where does that come into it it's very important to stay um, active and again you're you're using your glucose more you're reducing insulin resistance you're metabolizing that glucose that's coming into your body and it increases insulin resistance sorry it decreases insulin resistance so it increases uh, insulin sensitivity yeah exactly couldn't put it by myself so just by exercising being active you're just can, you're using more energy. You're using your. You're using more glucose, and the, if you the more glucose you need, the more the body will push that glucose from your blood into your muscle. Um, and something interesting happens with exercise specifically. So we'll, we'll different. I'll differentiate between, um, and this is something we do in the program between physical activity and exercise. In that physical activity is anything that you do that is you know movement effectively. If you're just you know standing up folding your clothes and that's physical activity if you're climbing your stairs to you know go upstairs to the toilet that's physical activity um whereas exercise would be you know an hour of my day or half an hour of my day and all i'm doing is jumping up and down or you know walking or running so but when you start to exercise when you've got insulin resistance we know we discussed earlier that the uh, insulin or excuse me, the cells become resistant to the insulin and they don't allow the insulin to open the doors to push the glucose in. Now, when you're exercising, your brain recognizes that there is an increased need for energy. And it also recognizes that you've got extra glucose in your bloodstream if you're a pre-diabetic or a type 2 diabetic. So what it does when you start exercising, it, it almost has this insulin-like effect in that it helps to push some of that blood that's in your blood stream sorry push that glucose that's in your bloodstream into your cells without the need of insulin 
Now that's very, very important because even if you are insulin resistant, you don't need the insulin in this case to get the glucose out of your blood. Um, so it's almost like a, I, I use it, I, it's not a back door, but I use an example. It's like a back door, right? If, if the front door's locked, then you can go around the back. And the only way the back door is activated is when you exercise. And I think when I say that to people, they realize, they go, oh, wow, okay, so that's why I need to exercise for my condition. Forget about all the other benefits of exercise, but if they're just, you know, people are focused on type 2 diabetes, they're like, okay, well, that's what I need to do. And, and that's effectively what, what, what we're saying here. So yeah, it's just keep moving, stay active. You know, follow the recommendations, you know, 10,000 steps a day, 150 minutes a week, whatever, you know, whatever school of thought you need. Uh, And just, just stay, just stay, stay mobile. And I think, you know, if we go back to how we have evolved as human beings, we've always been on the move. We've always been walking, running. And this is something, again, I've spoken about before, but um, yeah, we, we, we've just become into the society now where, you know, technology is, is very prevalent in our lives and we're having to do less and less. We can, you know, even now I didn't have to drive anywhere to, to, to sit down and have a chat with you. I just, you know, turned my computer on and sat down and, and here we are. So look, it's great, but on one hand, it's, it's making us uh, less and less mobile. Again, yeah, you just need to find that balance, isn't it? Which applies again to everything. Absolutely. So we've got food, nutrition, eat a balanced diet, stay physically active. Um, let's come to the, the the big one, which is stress. Um, so we talked about stress briefly earlier. Let's 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 touch on that now. Why is stress such a big problem, uh, particularly when it comes to something like type two diabetes? So if in order like to to kind of make it easy and not go into too much details, um, the body has a stress mechanism that's um, the fight or flight. So there's only one stress mechanism that the body knows. Um, and when you're in a stressful situation, the body expects you to either run for your life or uh, fight for your life because the body thinks you're only going to be stressed because you're in a life-threatening situation. So this is how the body is is responds to to. Uh, danger okay so uh, it comes from the fight or flight mechanism so for for both of these actions you need energy because if you want to run for your life you need energy if you want to fight for your life you need energy and where we get energy is from glucose so what happens is when we are stressed the body will respond in the same exact way and it will um, increase the release of stress hormones cortisol and adrenaline from the adrenal gland and what those uh, stress hormones do is that they increase or they promote glucose release from the liver because the body wants you to use that glucose to run for your life or fight for it so the body the thing the thing is the body acts the same exact way if you were stressed Uh, because of a problem you have you're sitting at home or in your bed or in your sofa and you're stressed about it and if you're in actually life-threatening situation the body regardless will release glucose into your blood now if you're in a life-threatening situation you're actually going to use that glucose which is fine perfect this is how the body should work but if you're sitting on your bed or in your sofa and you're uh, worrying about a problem so the body is constantly releasing that glucose into the blood but you're not using it which 
again releases insulin into the blood and then that increases the release of insulin uh, sorry the um, uh, risk of insulin resistance because you're constantly stressed let's say you know with chronic stress and that's why I mentioned chronic stress uh, because this is what happens if you're constantly stressed there's constant release of glucose constant release of insulin that increases insulin resistance and that's how stress can cause diabetes excellent well put yeah stress is such a huge huge factor i think more and more uh, of the medical community are understanding this and, and you know taking action but um yeah when you are stressed the the response of the body that's programmed in which is um as quite rightly said the, called, called the fight or flight response and Prehistorically, again, going back thousands of years, how we've evolved is that to deal with stress, our response has been very physical. And you, you said it, we either fight for our lives, that's very physical, or you run for your life, and that's very physical. So that glucose release that has been triggered by those stress hormones, that glucose is going to be used up very, very quickly um, in that physical response. Whereas we fast forward to um, modern day, you know, the, the, the stress that we face in our lives and particularly chronic stress and chronic just means it's happening all the time, you know, every day or, or you know, constant in your life that the response is not necessarily physical. So if you're the kind of person that gets angry uh, at sitting in traffic, well, you don't need a physical response to deal with sitting in traffic apart from, you know, maybe banging on your steering wheel with your arms, but that's not, that's not really a, uh, required in that, in that moment. If you're stressed because of pressure at work and you've come home and you're, you're, you're stressed about that, that doesn't require a physical response. But at the same time, your body doesn't know any different. It's just responding to the same stress that you would have had thousands of years ago. Um, and it's not just glucose. So if you think about anything that happens when you're when you're stressed, so if you think about a stress response, if you notice what happens to you, you know, your heart rate, your heart starts to beat faster. Yeah, your blood pressure increases. You start to get a little bit sweaty. Well, all these things are designed to help you with that physical response. So your blood beat, your heart beating faster, sorry, is your body knows, hey, you're about to fight or you're about to run away. So let me get more blood flow around the body. So when you start running and you start, or you start fighting, you've got oxygen and energy in your muscles. Your blood pressure increases so that you can push blood into your brain so you can think clearly. You know, your breathing rate increases so that you can get more oxygen into your muscles. Uh, your sweat glands start to open up because it's, it's almost preempting that you're going to get quite hot and sweaty soon. So I'm going to start cooling you down. So all of those responses that have been programmed thousands of years ago, they're needed to help us with that stress. But as you said, in today's society, if that stress isn't physical or we, well, it's, it's ongoing, it's chronic, you, that same, you, your, your palms become sweaty, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure increases, your pupils dilate, your glucose is you know, released into the bloodstream. And then obviously other things that happen as a result of chronic stress in modern life is maybe overeating, maybe undereating, because you know, people respond differently to stressful situations. Some people overeat, some people undereat. So you know, this is huge and it's not just um, type 2 diabetes that this increases the risk of. It's a whole host of, uh, of, of problems within the body. So I think it's very important for people to understand that, you know, it's that missing piece. And this is often the, the one, I'm sure you've had this in your experience, in those, in the people that come onto our program who are not overweight, right? And they are very physically active. They say, well, I've got a personal trainer. I train six days a week and I, you know, run marathons and all this stuff. Uh, my diet's clean. But they're still, they're, they've still been told by a doctor or a, or a health professional that their glucose levels are high. 
and why and you, you tell them you talk to them about stress and you can see it in their face or they admit it and they say yeah immediately you know yeah. yeah yeah immediately that's what it is that's what, what what my this is why it is so even if you you're sitting there you think well i've got a good diet and i exercise a lot you know what's your stress levels like and, and what are you doing about it yeah this is the important one actually what are you doing about it because some people just go like oh you know it's a normal everyday stress and i go like there's no such a thing i always say yes i understand life this is not easy for everyone but it will never be so you need to manage it you need to deal with it you need to find a way so it doesn't affect you on a daily basis so there's no such a thing as everyday stress you're not supposed to physiologically be stressed every day you're not supposed to be activating this stress uh, um, stress mechanism or fight or flight on a daily basis this is what i try to say some people go like oh yeah easier said than done but i absolutely understand easier said than done but what i'm saying is physiologically the body is not expected to be activating this mechanism on a daily basis this is all i'm trying to say so you need to manage stress rather than because some people go like oh you'll never have a stress-free life but yeah no one is promoting a self a stress-free life what we're promoting is you need to try to manage it you need to try to find the ways where you can manage stress and again this could be a whole new topic of how you can manage and what things you can do yeah, and that's a it's a whole whole discussion. And I've you know I've I've done podcasts on on mindfulness and meditation, and and the, those are those are some of the tools that we that we know we can use to to manage stress. Um, uh, but yeah, you're quite right in, in that people often do say to me, oh well, you know, I can't I can't help it. Stress is there. It's it's always there. But you know, and yes, it is. And we're not. And you quite rightly said saying saying to someone, oh, you can't have a stress free life. That's like. Uh, it's like it's like it's like saying it's, you can't have a stress-free life. So what can I do about it? That's like saying, well, I can't be, have I can't go through my whole life without being ill. So what can I do about it? Well, you you do do something about it. You go to the doctor, right? Um, you know, it's someone saying to me, Sanjay, I don't want to be weak my whole life, so I want to get stronger. Okay, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to come and see you in the gym, and we're going to train. Okay, perfect. Let's do that. And if you ask these people that are chronically stressed, or anyone that's chronically stressed, and say, Would you like to do something about it? Would you like to not be, you know, to manage that stress? I'm not saying I'm going to get rid of it, but would you like to lower the stress levels in your life? And they say, Yes, of course I would. And then you ask them the question, what are you doing about it? And and they're not doing anything. So how are you, it's like that person that wants to lose weight or wants to get fit. How are you ever going to get fit or ever going to lose weight if you don't start doing something about it? Absolutely. And the, the brain is very much, you know, the brain isn't a muscle, but I like to think of it like a muscle because if I train a muscle, you know, and I don't just train it once, right? I have to constantly train it over and over and over and over again to keep it strong and, and maintain its strength. If I train my brain in the same way, if I do something to manage my stress, whether that's meditation, whether that's relaxation, whether that's going for a walk, you know, whatever it is that you enjoy doing that's going to help you to lower your stress levels in your life, well, then over time, your body will get better at managing and handling stress because you can't just yeah unfortunately we can't just just get rid of it there's so many health conditions that are solely attributed to to stress yep. There are, yeah, and and you look at you you look what's happening now in the world with COVID nineteen. You know, mental health is going to be a big, big problem as as a result of what's going to come out of this. And people are are need to start thinking about how what they're doing to manage that stress. And and just ask yourself that question is a simple one: is what have you done today to just do something for yourself? 
Yeah. Uh, just something Definitely. that you, uh, and I don't mean brush your teeth, you did that for yourself, you know, of course that's part and part, but what have you done that you enjoy? What have you actually done? Whether that's just... What have you done for your yeah, soul? Yeah, for your soul. Yeah, I like that. That's a better way. What have you done for your <laughs> soul? Have you, you know, whether that's just sitting, you know, looking at and listening to the birds with the door open or the window open or having a cup of coffee sitting outside and just taking it all in or reading a book, anything, just, just find something that relaxes you because that's the first step. And again, something small, and then you can build on it from there. Um, and, it, and it's so important. But yeah, we could we could talk all day about this, which we, we're, we're not going yeah, to do, but um, <laughs> uh, we can. We can definitely come back another time and, and, and talk about the stress piece. Um, and the last thing that I guess it ties into stress, um, really, doesn't it, is, is the sleep, is the sleep part of it. You know, getting good sleep. Uh, this is something I haven't really spoken about on this podcast, but I want to, um, in, in a future episode, actually go into sleep and you know why it's so important to us and what we can do to improve our sleep. But effectively, if you're not getting good sleep or you're not sleeping long enough, your body is just, it's the same as being stressed, right? Yeah, so it's important Absolutely. that we try to address um, your sleep patterns and improving our sleep. Very important. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's just that recovery, that 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 restoration, that that healing of the body takes place when you're uh, when you're sleeping. For for pretty much everything, yeah. Not not only for um, let's say for diabetes or whatever it is, but literally for everything else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just just think about when you've whenever anyone listening, think about when you've not had a good night's sleep. You know, have you been able to think clearly? Have you been able to perform at your best? Have you been able to? No. You can't. So how can you expect your body and your immune system to be at its best when you've deprived it of you know the the rest and the recovery that it needs? So you know, th let's use the car analogy again. If you drove your car and you didn't stop driving for twenty four hours and you did that all the time, what's going to happen? It's going to break down. <laughs> If you keep revving the engine and don't change gears, it's going to break down. So yeah, you have to have a moment, uh, moments in your day where that car is not revving and it's just shut off and it's calm and, you know, it, it, or, or you, you take it to the mechanic and you're getting it fixed, whatever. But you need to have that restorative uh, part of your uh, part of your schedule. And that that comes in the form of sleep. Excellent. I think we did it higher. Yeah, I think quite a lot there, but we, we, we could did. talk a lot more. I know. And I know I, 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 know I, know. I certainly can. And people probably have had an, enough of hearing my voice by now. Um, <laughs> no, I think you kind of put it brilliantly, to be honest. So really, really good. Um, really interesting. Again, as you said, we can just keep going and on because this, there's, there's always something um, that kind of plays a role in, in everything. So it's like a package. There's not one thing that you need to follow focus on so if you look after your diet and diet only again you're going to be missing a lot of other stuff like physical activity and stress and your mental health and everything so it really is about kind of trying to do a fair amount in all of them let's say rather than kind of do one in really good one part and then neglect the other yeah exactly and and, and just if you're listening to, well there's all these four things they're talking about you know small steps yeah you, you said it absolutely Start small, small steps uh, and, and and work your way up um and if you you know if, if you're struggling with this sort of thing then you know maybe it, it, just seeking some help from from someone that is in the know might be might be just the push that you need to get you in the right direction um and that that could be that could be something that might might help people um 
on that note, hey, tell people about yourself, what you're doing, where they can reach you if they wanted to get in touch. You know, what what's your um, how how do you operate? So I do online consultations and I also do in clinic consulta- consultations. I don't know if I my my they can check me um, check my my stuff on my, well, my website. So that's www.heyamurad.co.uk. So Murad with M-U-R-A-D. Perfect. So it's heyamurad.co.uk, and I'll put all of this in the in the show notes. Um, what about on on social media? Can they can they reach you anywhere? Oh, so yeah, I um, got an Instagram account, and that's at heya.murad. And I share lots of nutrition tips on there, lots of videos. I like to bust myths. So I am the type of person that likes to go like, everyone knows this, but that's not true. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> I, I like to do that a lot. So yeah, you'll find many videos on there. Um, and um, I am Middle Eastern, so I speak Arabic, but they're all translated or subtitled into English as Excellent. well. Yeah, I h- highly recommend go and check out uh, Haya's uh, social channels or his uh, websites, uh, heyamurad.co.uk. You'll find her on there. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, Haya, for... Uh... Thank you so much for having me, Sanjay. It was a very lovely chat, uh, very informative. Um, um, your listeners are very lucky to, to um, really get all this um, knowledge and you hosting guests and um sharing this with thank them. you very much really appreciate lovely. it thank lovely you. all the best <laughs> thank you to Haya for joining me for this episode you can follow her on instagram it's at Haya.murad. that's h-a-y-a dot m-u-r-a-d or you can simply visit her website and that is www.heyamurad.co.uk You can view the show notes for all my episodes on my website, www.stayhole.co.uk forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you think might benefit from it. I'd also be very grateful if you could visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. It will help this information reach more and more people. Thank you. If you're a health, fitness or wellness professional and want to be a guest on the show, or you have your own personal health and wellness journey, and you want to share that with other people, then please contact me. You can contact me on my email address, that's sunjay, S-U-N-J-A-Y, at stayhole.co.uk, or I'm on Instagram and Twitter, and it's at stayholelife, or facebook.com forward slash stayhole. I would love to hear from you. Thank you to Purple Planet for all the music in this episode, and as always, thank you to you for listening. I am forever grateful. And remember always stay whole. Till next time.